Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Connection Point today. It's great to see you. You already have perfect attendance at church for the year 2022. How about that? You're off to a great start for the new year. And I want to wish you a happy new year, but more than that, I want to wish you a blessed new year. And even more than that, I want to pray that God will give you a year filled with fruitfulness and joy as you serve him with all your heart. Now, I got to thinking about what it's like when the holidays are over. And it's kind of a strange time because you go through all this family time and all the parties and all the things at work and at home and at church and everything else. And then it's over and it's like, oh boy, I got to go back to school this week. Or I got to go back to work this week or whatever. So I wrote a poem. Now, I'm not a poet, but I wrote a little poem called Back to Normal Now, all right? And here's how it goes. I hope you like my little poem. We've watched a lot of football games and movies on TV. We've opened many presents and sung carols round the tree. We've had a break from school and work and gone on shopping sprees. But the holidays are over now, so don't get used to these. No more sleeping late and gaining weight and taking midday naps. No more skipping school and feeling cool while eating midnight snacks. It's time to quiet, time to diet, time to keep our vows. For the holidays are over and it's back to normal now. But wait, it's good. No need to pout and gripe and moan and mope about. Let's be glad for joys we've had. For normal things aren't all so bad. If normal means you eat and sleep and breathe and have a heart to beat, and normal means a job to do, that's not a curse. Things could be worse. The year ahead is fresh and new, and there's so much to dream and do, and friends to love, and prayers to say, and hope to live another day. The Lord is there in normal stuff, the dull routines, the huff and puff. He's there in joy. He's there in pain. He's there when things are just mundane. He's with us in the here and now, today, tomorrow, to him we bow. The King of Kings is with us. Wow. So it's good to be back to normal now. Yes, when we live daily in the presence of the King of Kings, it's okay to be back to normal now. That's my little poem. That's my little poem. Nobody's going to mistake me for Tennyson or Longfellow. <laughs> But that expressed some of the thoughts that I have as we enter the new year. Now, maybe you're all excited about the new year because something big is going to happen this year. Maybe you're going to graduate from high school, congratulations, or college this year. Or maybe you're going to get promoted at work or you're going to be a, a celebrating a special anniversary this year. I don't know. Maybe this year is going to be great. But one way or another, I have a challenge for you in the new year. Here's my challenge. It has three parts. Do what you can with what you've got for the glory of God. In the new year, make it your goal to do what you can. Don't worry about what you can't do. Do what you can do and do with what you've got, not with what you don't have. Don't worry about all the things that you don't have you wish you had, but with what you've got and do it, not for yourself, but for the glory of God. Now, several scripture verses come to mind at the beginning of a new year. For example... 
Moses wrote in Psalm 90, a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. I like that because it reminds us that God sees time differently than we do. I mean, Jesus was born about 2,000 years ago, but on God's calendar, that's just a couple of days ago. For God, a year, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years are like a day. Moses goes on and he says in that same psalm, so Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In other words, the point is not just to count how many days you have, but to make your days count and to use your time wisely to see life from God's eternal point of view. Another good scripture to think about at the beginning of a new year is in Philippians chapter 3 where the apostle Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal. Now another verse that comes to my mind is where Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. So you're not supposed to worry about tomorrow, but it's okay to plan and make goals and plans. Each year around Christmas time, during the week between Christmas and New Year's, I do this. I did this a couple days ago, like I've done every year for a number of years. I sit down and I write a prayer to God. And I look back on what has happened in the previous year. And I thank him for the blessings. I look back and I thank God for what he's done. And then I write a prayer of just anticipation and plans for what the new year ahead is going to hold. It's very interesting because I've saved those in a notebook. These are just handwritten prayers. And as I go back and I read the ones from previous years, it's really interesting to see things that I was worried about that God has taken care of or things that have turned out differently than I expected and to see how God has been at work in my life. But when we make plans and New Year's resolutions, it's important to remember what it says in James chapter 4 where James says, he gives this word of caution. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So with that caution in mind, today I want us to focus on two main scripture passages. One is in Luke chapter 13. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, you'll want to turn to that with me. And then the other is in 1 Peter chapter 4. Now in Luke 13, we're going to look at a story that Jesus told, which is not one of his best known stories. You may not have even noticed this parable before that Jesus taught. And then in 1 Peter chapter 4, there is a practical application given, several practical things that help us apply the main lesson that we see in Jesus' story in Luke 13. So here's how Jesus' story goes in Luke chapter 13, how it begins. He tells a story about a fig tree. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for it, for fruit on it, but did not find any. Now, I brought along a plant today. This is not a fig tree. This is just a common plant, a house plant. But I brought it along to illustrate, to remind us of the fact that Jesus told many stories, 
and some of them had to do with farming. I grew up on a farm, so this, they always connect with me, those stories about planting things and growing. One of Jesus' most famous stories is the parable of the mustard seed, where he talks about how something very, very tiny, a tiny little mustard seed, can grow into actually a large tree that birds can build their nests in. He also told a story about a farmer who went out and sowed his seed, and it landed on different kinds of soil, on different kinds of ground. Uh, in, in some of them, the birds just came and, and swooped down and took the seed away because it had just fallen on the path and didn't penetrate at all. And then in others, it was rocky soil, or some it was thorny soil, but some was fertile, good soil, and the seed went down and grew and grew, and the plant produced 30, 60, 100 times what was planted. And so that's a challenging story because it makes me think, what kind of soil am I? What kind of soil will we be for the Lord in 2022? Will we be the kind of spiritual soil where his word takes root and grows and produces fruit for him? But in this story, which is not one of Jesus' most famous stories, it's a parable about a fig tree that's growing in a vineyard. And the owner of the vineyard goes and he looks for fruit on it. And the problem is he doesn't see any fruit on this fig tree. Now, I don't know about you. I don't eat a lot of figs. Maybe a fig newton now and then, you know. I don't eat a lot of figs. I don't know a lot of big figs, but, but I, about figs, but I had to, to research this a little bit. And, you know, figs, it turns out, were a big deal in Bible times. For one thing, back then, people didn't eat a lot of dessert. They couldn't go to Dairy Queen you know, they didn't have a lot of desserts, so a fig was sweet and delicious, and they really liked them. It was a treat to have figs. Plus, figs produces, produced a lot of shade. The leaves were big, and they would keep you cool on hot days if you got under a fig tree. You might remember that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together and made garments out of them. So figs were a big deal. In fact, Fig trees became a symbol of prosperity and peace among the people of Israel. The prophets predicted that when the Messiah would come, everybody would sit under their own vine and their own fig tree. For us, an American audience today, it would be like saying, everybody's going to have your own house and a car in your driveway, you know? If, <laughs> it doesn't seem like a big deal to me, but if I had a grapevine and a fig tree in those days, hey man, I was doing great. And so a fig tree was a symbol of prosperity and peace, and it was expected to be a fruitful thing. According to the Jewish historian Josephus, a fig tree planted in a good location would bear fruit about 10 months out of the year. Now notice that this fig tree in Jesus' parable is planted in a great location. It's planted in the man's vineyard, so it didn't have to compete with other trees for shade and sun and water and all that. It was, it was planted in a vineyard, and so the soil was fruitful because there were other plants there, grapevines and things growing there. So the owner of the vineyard comes expecting to find fruitfulness on this fig tree. He's put it in a great spot. It's got everything going for it. He's given it every chance to grow and produce fruit. So he comes and looks. He says, what's the fruit on this fig tree? And he finds that it's not producing fruit. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down, he said. Why should it use up the soil? 
Now, at first, the vineyard owner, notice, was very patient. He gave the tree years to bear fruit. But after three years, his patience is wearing thin. So he finds the caretaker of the vineyard, and he says, look, this is just taking up space. Chop it down. Chop it down. But the man, the caretaker, had a different suggestion. Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. One more year. I'll dig around it, fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Now, I don't know about you, but when I see Jesus saying, give it one more year, that really hits me, especially at the beginning of the new year. It really strikes me when Jesus says, give it one more year, and if it bears fruit, that's great. If not, then cut it down. That hits me because, and the point isn't just to scare us, but it is to wake us up and make us take Jesus' teaching seriously. Because what if the Lord is giving us one more year? Now, you have to understand that by now, Jesus had been teaching and performing miracles among the people for about three years. He'd been working among them for three years. He'd he'd been revealing himself to them for three years or so. Been calling people to repent and believe, but many kept rejecting him. So this was a serious warning from Jesus. Time was running out. And the fact is, looks can be deceiving. Did you ever see a tree that looks really healthy on the outside, and then a big wind comes through, and it knocks it over, and you realize it was actually hollow on the inside, It was rotten on the inside. It may have looked great on the outside, but there was nothing there. It wasn't really rooted and solid. Now, here's a point that I want you to consider. God doesn't want to cut you down. He wants to help you grow. Now, that's true in the past, and it's true in this new year. God doesn't want to cut you down. He wants to help you grow. Notice the caretaker of the tree wanted to give the tree another chance. He said, let's give it some special treatment. Let's fertilize it. Let's dig around it so that the roots can expand. And I want to tell you, God is patient with us. He's been incredibly patient with me. I can be so thick-headed. And I can just see the Lord saying, you know, for years I've been trying to get you to bear fruit in this way, and why don't you get it? He's patient with me and with you. But you know what? Sometimes when we get uncomfortable, you know what that means? God is digging around. <laughs> he's digging around. He's, he's fertilizing the roots. He's trying to get us to grow. And you're like, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah, God, God's saying, if I leave you the way you are, a windstorm's going to come and just blow you over. I don't want to cut you down. I want to help you grow and produce fruit. So God sometimes digs around, stirs things up, stimulates growth, nourishes us, deepens our roots. If you want to know what God wants you to be like, like a plant, read the first chapter of the book of Psalms. Psalm 1 says that the person who delights in God's word, who reflects on God's word, and that's a great uh, resolution, by the way, for the new year, to read God's word more, study it more in depth, take more time in his word. The person who delights in God's word, according to Psalm 1, is like a tree that's planted by the water. And the roots are deep, and it bears fruit all year round. Its leaves don't wither. Now, notice in this parable that Jesus teaches, God's grace is mingled with his judgment. Both of them are there. God is patient and gracious, but he's also a God of righteous judgment. 
He gives us lots of opportunities, but eventually a day of reckoning will come. Eventually says, God says, enough is enough. Now, if you don't believe that, read the book of Revelation and you'll see. Eventually, God says, enough is enough. In Hebrews, it says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and then comes the judgment. So this is the truth of Scripture. It's the truth of life. God's grace says, give the tree one more year. Let's do everything possible to help it grow and help it bear fruit. But God's judgment says there comes a time when it's been given every opportunity and it has not produced any fruit, the time comes to cut it down. That's not what God wants to do. He wants to help us grow, but there comes a time for it to be cut down. Now, here we are at the beginning of January, and there is no guarantee that we'll have another full year ahead of us. But if God, in his grace, gives us another year, one more year, what will we do with it? Well, that's the point of Jesus' parable there in Luke 13 is to make us think things like this. So that takes us to 1 Peter chapter 4 where we see some practical lessons that we can apply. If God gives us one more year, what are we going to do? How are we going to use it? Well, 1 Peter chapter 4 says in, in verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and be of sober mind so that you may pray. Now, let me just say, when Peter says the end of all things is near, that doesn't mean we should start setting dates for the end of the world and the return of Christ. We don't know when that will happen. But if you think about it, when it says the end of all things is near, think about it, no matter how old you are, the end of your life on this earth is now nearer than it has ever been. It is nearer now than it was a year ago. You have, if you have one more year to live on this earth or you have 80 more years to live, right now you're one year clo closer to eternity than you were last January at this time. There's something always true about that statement that the end of all things is near. And it makes us think, how am I going to live my life? Peter says the end of all things is near, but he doesn't say, so therefore go hide in a cave. He says, be alert, be of sober mind, think about what you're doing, keep your head so that you can pray. And it reminds me that prayer, my walk with God, communication with God needs to be a priority for me and for all of us in this new year. The fig tree was given one more year. What if you knew that 2022 would be your last year? Would you spend more time with your family? Would you be more generous? Would you walk more closely with the Lord? What spiritual business would you take care of? You see, we need to live with the end in mind. This is serious. I keep a, a log of ministry activities, and I just noticed as I reflected on last year, I had the honor of leading, presiding at 12 funerals last year, an average of one a month for the year 2021. Already this morning, I received a phone call from a friend whose dad died. And this week, first week of the new year, will begin with me thinking about and working with this family starting this afternoon to plan a funeral for a loved one. As I look back on those 12 funerals that I did last year, some were for older people, most of them for older people, but not all. Some for people who were quite young. It's very sobering to live with the end in mind. 
Imagine going to a funeral and you show up and there are flowers and soft music is playing and you look into the casket and you come face to face with yourself. It's your funeral. And you find out there are going to be four speakers at your funeral. One is going to speak on behalf of your family. Another is going to represent your friends. Another is going to represent the people who knew you at work or at school. And the final speaker will be from the church. What would they say about you? What would you want them to say? Peter says the end of all things is near. If trusting in Jesus Christ is the main thing that matters when you die, shouldn't it be the main thing that matters while you live? Shouldn't it be the main thing that matters today and on Tuesday and on Friday and every day of your life? Alfred Nobel invented dynamite. He made a fortune by manufacturing and selling explosive. One morning, Alfred Nobel picked up the newspaper and he read that he had died. And reporters Heavenly, that was startling to him because <laughs> he was still alive and he was reading the newspaper. But Alfred Nobel looked at the newspaper and he said, well, what did they say about me? They had gotten mixed up. Reporters had gotten mixed up and thought that he was his brother and, and his, actually his brother who had died. But they said it was Alfred. And so they confused him with the death of his brother. Nobel was stunned to read how people were going to remember him. Because the reporters in whose obituary described him as someone who profited from selling explosives that inflicted pain and misery on other people. And he thought, I don't want that to be my legacy. So he created an endowment to honor positive contributions to humanity. And he's best known for the Nobel Prizes, including the Nobel Peace Prize. It's sobering to think, what do you want people to say about you when you die? Alfred Nobel didn't like what people were saying, and so he changed the script. Listen, if God gives you one more year, you've got one more year to change the script. You've got one more year to change what people will think of you and how you will minister to people. If the Lord gives us another year, what will we do with it? Well, let's continue in 1 Peter chapter 4. It says, the end of all things is near, so be alert, pray, be clear-minded. Well, you know what else? It's another year to love people. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, if God gives us another year, it's not just to, so that we can spend this year only on ourselves. It says in verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now let's unpack that a little bit. Notice it says above all. Above all, he's saying, you know, you don't know whether you've got a year or five years or two days or what, but above all, when you think about your life, love people deeply. Above all. You know, there are all the things you could say. I mean, you've got to read 20 chapters of the Bible every day. Or you've got to, uh, all these good things you could do. But the first thing that Peter comes to mind is to say is above all, love each other deeply. Above all, love should be at the top of the priority list of our plans and our goals. 1 Corinthians 13 says you can say fancy words, you can be smart and gifted and generous, you can even have a faith that moves mountains, but if you don't have love, you're nothing. In 1 John chapter 3, it reminds us, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Love matters so much got to be a characteristic of our church. 
couple of years ago, you probably remember, a couple of years ago, there was a fried chicken sandwich war. I really participated in this, you know. <laughs> I took this very seriously because I have certain fried chicken sandwiches I'm really partial to. And my friend said, you've got to try the one at Popeye's. You've just got to try the sandwich at Popeye's. And I said, okay. So finally, I stopped at a Popeye's, and I walked up to the counter, and I said, I want the sandwich. They said, we don't have any. I said, what? you got to be kidding me. You guys advertise it. It's a big deal. You know, they said, well, we're out of buns. I said, just give it to me on a slice of bread, whatever it is, you know. No. After all that advertising, it turns out they didn't have the sandwich. You've got to be kidding me. But guess what? The church advertises. Love. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And the church has got to deliver on that promise. Above all, love each other deeply. And the word deeply there, it literally meant to stretch or strain. The Greeks used it to describe the way a horse was racing at top speed and stretching its body out. In football, think of a wide receiver stretching out to make the catch, maybe diving on the ground, getting ready to take a hit, but he's going to do whatever it takes to catch that ball. It also makes me think of Jesus who stretched out his arms on the cross and allowed himself to be nailed to the cross for us. The love of Christ stretches us. It pushes us. Peter is saying, love each other strenuously. Now, for me as a married guy, a new year means new chances then to love my wife as Christ loved the church. That's what the Bible says husbands to do. Candy and I have been married 46 and a half years. That's a long long time. I look at myself, I think, well, that must be my parents I'm talking about. Or maybe my grandparents. We've been married 46 and a half years. This should be 47 years. And you know what? I'm amazed how living with another human being every day unmasks my own selfishness and makes me realize I got to keep stretching and learning how to love more deeply. If, 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 you know, love is nice to talk about at a wedding ceremony and stuff, but is it strong enough to make me take out the trash so she doesn't have to do it? It's just a practical thing. Talk about practical. It says that love covers over a multitude of sins. Did you catch that? Now, that doesn't mean cover over in some sinister way, like you're trying to pretend it doesn't exist. This doesn't mean we ignore sin or that we condone what is wrong, but it does mean that when we or others we know are involved in sin, the goal is to forgive it. Not merely to expose it and point fingers and condemn it, but to forgive it. On the cross, Jesus took the hit for our sin. He bore the burden. He never sinned, but he was publicly humiliated and brutally killed on the cross so that our sins could be covered, so that our sins could be forgiven. That's what love does. It covers over, God's love covers over our multitude of sins. So let me ask you this. As this new year begins, is there somebody you need to forgive? Is there somebody whose multitude of sins you need to just put behind and just let go? Let go of bitterness. Forgive somebody. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. As the new year begins, this could be a time to turn over a new leaf in your relationship with somebody you've been bitter toward. Now, 1 Peter chapter 4 goes on, and it gives us another practical way to love. It says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, that's very practical. 
Love means opening our hearts and our homes, making our homes hospitals, places of healing and rest. And notice it says, I get a kick out of this. The Bible just sometimes makes me chuckle. It says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. You know, without grumbling. Without, some, one translation says, without secretly wishing you didn't have to. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, sometimes it's like, you know, it's great to have all the kids over for the holidays and everything, but uh, hey, listen, offer hospitality. It's a practical way to show love. This year, this new year, will you have your neighbors over for coffee? We have a small group in your apartment or your house. Will you pick up the check when you join someone for lunch? Let me, this is the point. If you are making New Year's resolutions, how many of your goals focusing on, focus on loving others or just yourselves? Are, are your goals mainly just about yourself? Maybe in the new year you're saying, oh, I'm going to eat less. Maybe you actually need, need to eat more with other people. And get out there and be more social. Maybe you're saying, oh, in the new year I'm going to save more money and get my finances in order. Good, but what will you give this year? How will you increase your giving this year to bless other people? You're going to exercise your body more this year? Great. But how are you going to exercise your faith? What is your plan for your spiritual growth in the new year? How will you invest in other people? How will you invest with your kids or your friends or your spouse or help somebody else who maybe only has one more year? to live. Here's a little prayer I suggest that you say. Lord, in the new year, strip away my selfishness and teach me to love more deeply. And if God gives you one more year, it's also another year to use your gifts, to use what God has given you to bless other people. Remember the fig tree, the point of it was to bear fruit for the master, for the owner. Now, God wants you to bear fruit, and you have a unique way that you can do it. It's different than other people around you. Each of us have unique fingerprints, and we all have unique spiritual gifts and unique contributions to make. Peter goes on, and he says in verse 10, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And I love that. Whatever gift you have received... Maybe you can fix cars, or you can play sports, or you can organize events, or you can play music. God's grace comes in various forms. That translates a Greek word that means multicolored or many-faceted. I love this picture of, of grace, that it's multicolored. Let me show you a picture of yarn that has many different colors to it. You know, that's called variegated yarn. It's variegated. It has all these different colors to it. And to me, that's a picture of what the church is like. If you think the church is just this gray, boring, dull thing, you're wrong. It's more like this. It's all these different colors and gifts of people blended together. God's grace comes in many forms as we exercise the gifts that God has given us. So what does that mean for me? It means I love children, but teaching in Kids City is not my best thing. I admire artists, but hey, I do really well if I draw a stick person. You know, my four-year-old granddaughter can outdraw me anytime. I'm not good at, at art. I'm just not. I enjoy good music, but I can't play the guitar on stage like these wonderful gifted musicians we have up here. Whatever ability you have, though, use it to serve other people. Notice it says to serve others as faithful stewards of God's gifts. So we're stewards. That means caretakers. We watch over things. I was thinking about my keys and thinking about how 
you know, I think that I'm the owner of all these things, but really I'm just a caretaker. So this is my car key and my Toyota Corolla, several years old, but it's paid for. <laughs> my Toyota Corolla, I like my little car, but that's not really my car. Guess what? Someday somebody else will own my car. It's true. Or some junkyard will. It won't always be mine. Oh, whoop, there's the key to my house. I say, it's my house. Well, guess what? Someday we'll have a closing. They call it the closing. The realtors will get together and a lawyer maybe or somebody. And I'll hand this key to somebody else. And somebody else someday is going to live in my house. It's true. Someday somebody will. It won't always be my house. Oh, wait a minute. There's my office key. That means a lot to me. Going to work, serving the Lord, being productive, having things to do. And someday... I will hand that in to the people in HR, you know, in human resources, or I'll hand it directly to my success, and they'll, and they'll take it, and they will sit and work in my office. It's not really mine. Guess what? All these keys are just daily reminders to me that I am a steward, I'm a caretaker, I'm not the permanent owner of any of these earthly things. I have them for a while. God's given me them for a while to use, but they won't be mine to hang on to forever. Your job is to be a good steward and then hand the keys to the next generation. That's why it's so important that we pour into the next generation and the generation after that because we're going to hand them the keys. So if you're making New Year's resolutions, here's a prayer to say. Lord, in the new year, show me how my gifts can bless others. Show me how I can be a good steward of what you've given me and let me use these gifts to be a blessing to other people. So how will you serve the Lord in 2022? If God gives you one more year, the main thing is it's another year to honor the Lord. You know, right before Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow, guess what he said? He said, don't worry about tomorrow. But before he said that, he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So it's not just don't worry, it's all going to be fine, it's Get your priorities right. Seek first God and his kingdom. You know, everybody knows that B.C., the initials B.C. means before Christ. A.D., people don't know quite so well. A.D. is from the Latin Anno Domini, which means in the year of the Lord. In the year of the Lord. Let 2022 be the year of the Lord. Be Anno Domini in your life. The fig tree in Jesus' parable was given one more year to bear fruit and to grow. 1 Peter 4.11 says, If anyone speaks, they should do so as the one who speaks the very words of God. And so my goal for this year would be, Lord, let my words conform to your word. Let what I say conform to the things that I find in your word. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. In other words, Lord, in this new year, let my lifestyle, my service, my ministry, the way I conduct my life be conducted out of the power of the Holy Spirit, your strength working in me, and may it all be directed toward giving glory to you. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Now, some of you may have already figured this out, but this plant that I brought earlier... The, the sad truth about it is it's not real. <laughs> it looks, from a distance, it looks pretty sharp, you know, and we keep it in our house, and it, but it's artificial. 
Now, the fun thing, the nice thing about an artificial plant is it's really easy to take care of. <laughs> Don't have to ever trim it, dig around it, water it, dust it once in a while, that's all. It looks good, but it's artificial. There's really nothing that's going to grow from that. But I want to show you a picture of another plant. Let me show you a photo of another plant. This one is so real that I couldn't even bring it. I asked my wife if I could bring it, and she said no. <laughs> because this thing is so full of life, it's actually kind of clinging to the wall in our kitchen. And you know what's funny about this plant? It's no special plant, but man, this thing is hardy and strong. We got this as a gift like 20 years ago, and my wife started taking care of it and just watering it and everything, and it grows like crazy. And she's even taken cuttings of it with roots and given it to our granddaughter and given it to other people. There are part, this plant has reproduced itself all over the world. There are people growing little pieces of this plant. And it grew so much. Several years ago, about eight years ago, we moved to the house where we live now, and we cut it down to about that. It was a little stub of a thing, and I thought we had killed it. In order to move it, we just chopped it all down, and it grew back, and it continues to flourish. It is not artificial. It's nothing fancy, but it's alive. It's growing. It's growing. What kind of person are you going to be in 2022? Whatever you do, don't be artificial. Don't just sit there doing nothing. Be productive. Be fruitful. Be real. Jesus said, come follow me. You can't fake that. Don't be a fake follower. Don't be an artificial Christian. Be a real one. God may dig around your roots this year. He may trim you and prune you or cut you back, but it's all to help you grow. So this year, do what you can with what you've got for the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, Lord God, thank you for this past year and the things that you have given us the opportunity to do, the lessons you have taught us. Lord, it's hard sometimes, especially in these changing times that we live in, to do the right thing, to have our minds clear and to be alert and to pray. Lord, as this new year gets going, help us to make good decisions. Give us wisdom. Help us, Lord, to be fruitful for you, for your kingdom's sake, to get our priorities right. Lord, we pray that we will be people of deep, stretching love this year that our faith will be real that there won't be anything artificial or lacking authenticity in us but our faith will be real our love for you will be real fill connection point with your love God this year help us to grow and bear fruit for you and in all things Lord may you be glorified this is our prayer in the precious name of Jesus, your son.